0: You're listening to the Trinity Ministries Podcast. For more information and to support our ministry, go to www.trinityhudson.org. Advent is a season that isn't in the Bible. It's not like in John 4, God said, let there be Advent kind of thing. Um, It was actually started about 500 uh, A.D., uh, where uh, the monks decided, or actually it was a little bit of a mandate from the, the mother church to fast at some point every day the whole month of December to prepare your hearts for the great celebration of Christmas. And so that uh, there were a lot of traditions back then that started a couple hundred years after Jesus went, went back to heaven, uh, but that was one of them that, that stuck. And so we in the Christian church... Throughout the whole world right now, all of us are joined together with millions and millions of Christians celebrating Christ through Advent. So it's a super, super cool time of of the year. And just to reiterate um, what Nicole said, there's a lot of distractions coming up um, if you haven't felt it already. Uh, Keep your focus on Christ. One of the ways that, that we at Trinity want to help you do that too is we have an Advent devotional for you as a resource for free. Um, there, uh, there's, we have some at the, the welcome desk or you can go online and get them as well at our website. We'll make sure that link is up uh, this afternoon. But it just is w- taking a little bit of time every day to really help uh, re-engage your brain as to what is Christmas all about. That's the Advent devotional. will help you do that. So, but today we are uh, starting a new series, and I want to start with a question. Raise your hand, actually several questions, raise your hand if you feel like you have a, a good grasp on knowing your neighbors. How many of you like, know your neighbors, at least the couple? Ooh. Okay, good. You're starting to raise your hand. Okay, so how many of you um, have neighbors that you like? Raise your hand. Okay, good. That's good. How many of you have one of those neighbors that just is a little off? Raise your hand. How many of you are realizing that might be your family? Yeah. yeah. Well, when I was growing up in Grand Forks, in Grand Forks, we weren't that neighbor, but we were in a neighborhood and um, had a great time. And it was one of those neighborhoods where all of the the parents, you know, it was a new development, so all the parents were the same age. All the all of us kids were the same age. You know, anybody grow up in a situation like that? Yeah. And. And we all kind of played together, and my my parents we lived on this on the street right across the street was this massive park. We'd all play until eleven o'clock at night when the sun finally went down in Grand Forks, and uh, we were just playing um, but there was this one kid, actually this one family that would be categorized as well just a little bit different you know their the parents they from what I can remember they 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 dressed a little different from everybody else. they were a little bit weird. these were the parents that would lock their kids out of the house, um, and, and go to work, and, and during the summer, and, and then the kids are just kind of like, they'd show up on our doorstep, what do we, what do we do, and especially this one kid, who, um, he was just, you know, he's just that kid, I hate stereotypes, but he's just that kid you look at, and, and as, a, as another kid with another kid, you're like, I don't want to be with this kid, because he's just a little different, and a little odd, and But my parents, somewhere along the line, my parents decided that they were the family, that we were the family and the house that everybody could count on. So if one of the kids, especially this kid, got locked out of his house, which always happened, they could always come to our house and hang out until the parents got home. Or if somebody was going to, especially that family, if if my mom was going to the grocery store... My mom would actually call down and say, hey, uh, you know, I'm going to the grocery store. You need anything? And, and she would pick it up, and then that family sometimes would pay us back, sometimes wouldn't. Um, and then I, I was like, oh, you know, okay. But then my, my parents on, on a Sunday morning one time said to us, that kid down the street, we invited him to church this morning. I was like, oh, you've got to be, as a kid, oh, you've got to be, killed. Oh, my friends are at church, here, you're going to see me with this, ki-? you know how we are as kids, so this, this kid comes, and he's never been to church before, we're sitting in the back on purpose, and, um, and, and he, you know, in church, he, he just started, like, talking, like, loudly, in conversation, like, asking questions, why do they light candles up there? And right during the sermon, and this is an LCMS strict traditional service, and all the heads, you know, all doing this. And, and then I remember distinctly, and this happened several weeks, distinctly this, I, I'm going off on a tangent, but this is fun. Okay, so the, the preacher was up there, and this guy was one of those scary hellfire and brimstone Lutheran preachers kind of guy. And he's up there, and he's preaching, and this kid sitting right next to me, and I'm like this. He's yelling something at another kid that he recognizes from school across the church, like just just yelling. And the pastor stops, looks at me, points at me, and says, Todd, you need to keep your friend quiet. Ah, I just died. (laughs) I died. I I actually don't even know what happened to that kid or to that family because we moved away. But again, my parents were the ones that that, And that's the point. My parents a long time ago decided that we were going to be the family, we were going to be the house on which the neighbors can can count on for almost anything. We were the ones to count on. And that's very important, actually, as we we kind of extrapolate today. For you as a human being, right from the beginning, right when you were little, we have this desire, this hardwired thing that God put in us for us to know who we can count on. We have this thing that inside of us that we, we, we need to know who is it that we can count on and feel secure in. Of the six human needs that scientists talk about, the first one is a need called certainty. We have to have, or in other words, stability. Even as a little baby, when they come out of the womb, you know, they're looking for food and everything, but, they, but almost immediately, those connections are happening where the baby is trying to, okay, where is my stability? Where is my connection? Subconsciously, obviously, but they're looking for stability. And we look for stability in people. You do, unconsciously, all day long. A gazillion times a minute, your brain is going, is that person safe? Do I have affinity with that person? Are they like me? Are they different from me? And it it's all comes down to who can you count on? Certainty. But the problem is, you know people. I know people. We've had people in our life that we thought we could count on, and they come up short. You know, if you're in school, you have the, you've, you've had this happen or, or something like this. You thought you could count on that friend keeping a secret at school, and now everybody knows who you like in the class, and your life is ruined. Or I thought I could count on him providing for my family, and he's a great guy, great dad, but now he's kind of just lost his spark, and the bills are piling up, and I've got to go find a job. Or I thought I could count on my supervisor having my back, but then I found out they were going to hire my office mate the whole time. They didn't even have my, they weren't even counting on me for the promotion. I thought I could count on my marriage vows being true, for better or for worse, and it got worse, and she left. When you go from person to person looking for someone to count on, and over and over it seems like people disappoint us because you and I are this. We're unpredictable. We are. One moment that person that you love and surpasses your expectations, the next they break their promises. So the question today, and actually throughout the whole series that we're going to ask is this. Is there someone on whom you can count 100% of the time who will never disappoint you? Now, if you're in church, you know the answer is, yes, there is, Jesus. But do you know why you can count on Christ? Do you know, and what does that look like in our lives? Do you know why it is that Jesus is the one to count on when maybe for you right now, your life is falling apart? Maybe you just think about last Thanksgiving and the political talk that happened around the table or just the arguments you got in. It just was like, how can I hate my family? You know, just crazy. But Jesus says that he's there all the time for us. How does that work? So that's the question we're going to look at. And it's actually, today, it's the same question that people were asking um, in the the verses we're going to look at. So today we're going to be taking a look at John 1. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open that up or your app. You can look that that up too. And many of you are familiar with this verse. Um, We're going to walk through it in just a second. But John was... One of the disciples, and he's writing this at about 40 to 45 years past when Jesus died. So John's kind of an older guy, and he's reflecting back. And by this time, the church had changed. The face of the church had changed. By, by um, a, you know, several years after Jesus died, there were two special features that had kind of emerged in the situation with the Christian church. The first is Christianity wasn't just going toward the Jews. Remember that the early disciples were really going to the Jews first because they were, quote, God's chosen people. But then this message spread among Gentiles. So now you have these two different groups who are totally like coming from different backgrounds. You got the Jewish background who knows God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then you have the Greeks who have all these different gods and these this philosophy and just all this. So John is writing in a situation of going, How am I going to describe? jesus the messiah to two different groups of people how do you introduce jesus into this on the one side this this world that has multiple multiple gods and then on the other side that has one god and no other how do i introduce this because you can't tell a jew there's another god because they're monotheistic there is only one god and you can't tell Greek there's another God because they'd be just like, oh, join the party, there's another one, great. Because you know, every every city had their own God according to the Jews, or according to the Greeks. So how do you bring these two together? What if, John is thinking, what if there was what if there's one concept that maybe have a, a different name, but the, the concept is kind of the same that spreads across both play, both people groups? What if there was one concept that could bring it all? together. And then it's as if a light bulb just kind of goes off for John, although he doesn't know what a light bulb is at that point because they weren't invented. But thank you, Ken Krautbauer, for pointing that out from first service. Uh, so, but it's just, so, <laughs> but, so the light bulb goes off in John's head and, and the Holy Spirit just starts flowing through him as he's writing. And I can imagine John is writing multiple drafts of the first couple of verses of his book of his gospel, and he says this, and you all know this, and we're actually going to, this might be a little bit academic, but I think, a little tangent, I think we read too much of the Bible. I think we read too much of the Bible, we don't study enough. Maybe for 2017, read less, study more, because it's in the study where you get the the depth, and you're not just skipping along the surface of what God's trying to tell you. That sounds like heresy a little bit, but it isn't. Okay. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to dive a little bit deep into John 1. So this concept comes out in John 1 called the Logos or the Word. Now to the Jews, this concept that John that was given to him by the Holy Spirit, this this idea was that the Jew for the Jew the word was not just spoken but it was alive. Remember in the beginning God spoke into being everything that was created. So the word when you say something it has life. And meaning. In fact, the Jews at this point wouldn't even say God's name, Yahweh, because they were afraid that it could be construed by Yahweh as being blasphemy. So they didn't even say his name. On the Greeks on the other side, the logos or the word was just sort of this philosophical principle, kind of like the force that, that, that drove everything. And then all the gods that were... Uh, that were, that were um, that they that, that made up, connected into this big thing called reason, this force, through which then people can interpret how to live based on all these different gods. So John the Holy, and the Holy Spirit sits down and writes about this thing called the Logos, the, the Word. And he says this, John 1, you know this verse. In the beginning, that sounds like Genesis, right? In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God. And what we're going to see over the next couple of minutes, every phrase, John is thinking about either Jews or Greeks. And he takes the different concepts on both sides and then weaves it together to show who he's talking about. So in the beginning, the Word already existed. It wasn't as if it was made up or created. The Word, this concept of the Word, already existed. Um, and the Word was with God. And again, this appealed to the Greeks because, yep, the Word, if it's a thing, it's just another God. This idea of reason, again, reason, the guiding principle of the universe. In the beginning, the, world already, the Word already existed. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. That phrase appeals to the Jews. Because the Word, if it's a real thing, a creative thing, you've got to be, John, you're talking about God. Here. So within a couple words, John is acknowledging a truth about this idea called the Word, that the Word wasn't a created thing. The Word was something that already was. It was always in existence. And then John does something totally linguistically that blows both the Jews. And you're sitting around the table, if you're Jew or Greek, and you're like, did you just did you read this? He says this, he existed in the beginning with God. He, he wait, wait. The Greeks would go, wait a second. So reason, force, philosophy is a is a is a person? And Jews would go, wait a second, we there is only one God. Who is how who's the He? Who's the He? He existed in the beginning with God. In doing so, this is just so brilliant. John takes on this argument that the Jews and Greeks were constantly having, that it it existed at the time and probably was the most divisive um, argument between Jews and Greeks. Jews believed in one God. Greeks believed in polyistic God. Now John is saying there's one God, and he is God. The Word is God. The Word is a person. Then he goes on, he writes this. God created everything through him, so we know that the word is Jesus he'll reveal that in a little bit but Jesus cre- the God created everything through him and nothing has been created except through him. Did you know that the world was created by Jesus? In the beginning was the in the in the beginning God created heaven and earth. It's a plural. God is is plural. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's Jesus that put his hand on the creation of the world. Now think about that from the be- think about that for just a second. What would it have been like for Jesus to create the gold, frankincense, and myrrh that one day would be his gifts as a baby? Or the star in the sky to announce his birth? What would it have been like for Jesus to create the thorn bush that grew the thorns that made the crown that pierced his head? What would it have been like for Jesus to grow the tree that was cut down on which he would give his own life. What would it be like to create the hillside of stone from which someone would carve a tomb and from which you knew that's where you're going to be raised from the dead? That's a whole nother sermon. Back to John. So John is thinking about all these different concepts. Then he keeps going and he says this. The word does something else he gives life to everything that was created and this life brought light to everything life that's a jewish concept light that's a greek concept again weaving it together and now the greek, now again back to the greeks he says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it this was one of the battles that that the that the greeks have in mythology there's this massive battle between light and darkness Uh, 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 ether is the light, Uh, Erebus is the darkness in Greek mythology, and they're constantly fighting. And he says, wait a second, this word conquers them all. He brings light and dispels the darkness. And then then John writes something that no one would have thought was coming, because at this point it's like, wow, the Jews and the Greeks could look at each other across the table and say, this is a God that both of us can worship and as a, a person. But then in verse 14, John just blows everything out of the water and he says this, so the word of this person became human. And not only that, he didn't stay up in the ether. He came And made his home among us. The message paraphrase, which is isn't a translation of the Bible; it's more of a commentary on the Bible, great, great, um, easy read kind of thing. But the message paraphrase of this verse says: So the Word became a person and moved into the neighborhood. I love it. I mean, think about that: the God of Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob, the founding principle of reason, the Word. Became flesh and blood. He was—he again was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we have seen his glory. John's like, hey, we've se- we've seen this person, and now the Jews and Greeks are going. Who are you talking about? Where is he? Where is this this person? We have seen his glory—the glory of Father, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And then the Jews go, oh, you're going to be talking about this Jesus. And the Greeks go, we heard it, we read about that, we saw that on TV, Google News, Jesus died, we heard that. he continues, from his abundance, meaning from Jesus' abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law, which is all the rules, regulations, everything in the older covenant, that was was set up so that we could be in in favor with God or or in relationship with God. Um, The law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through, and this is the first time John mentions Jesus, came through the word, Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. No one's ever seen God. But the unique one, not the greatest translation of that word but the real one the the authentic one meaning jesus who is himself god is near to the father's heart he has revealed god to you and me he's revealed what god is who god is and what he's like to to you and to me if you want to know god you look at jesus If you want to look at Jesus, there's a whole book called the Bible that's written about him. All over the Bible, especially the four letters, the Gospels, Jesus is portrayed as someone who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Even that phrase is actually in Hebrews, it's not in the Gospels. But Jesus is the same as the Word. In the beginning, Jesus created the heavens and the earth. The Word was with God in the beginning, He's always existed. Through Jesus, the deity, the personification which guides the universe, the one who moved into your neighborhood, is God. He is close to you and loves you more than you can know. Jesus, who created the heavens and earth, steps out of eternity and into your story so that you can know God. He's not a mystery. If you realize that Jesus is a God who didn't just bring light and love, but was himself light and love. He was always there. He was always ready to help, always had the best answers to life's problems and dilemmas. If you knew that Jesus lived right next door and is always ready to help and is always the one that you can count on, how would that change the struggle and dilemma you're going through right now? How would that change your sense of or lack of peace in this upcoming Christmas season? How would that change your security, your stability, especially when your circumstances right now aren't saying that God is a God of love? doesn't seem like it. Where is he? What's going on as I'm struggling in my work at home? What happens when what you thought Jesus should do for you is different from what he came to do for you. That's next week. Let's stand to pray. Father, I I thank you that um, you inspired John so many years ago to bring this really, and actually, Father, we just scratched the surface of what the, the concept of the word, Jesus as the word, really means. But I thank you that for us today, that um, even though our circumstances might be showing it or we might be feeling or experiencing um, just, just hardship in our lives, Father, we still, are, we still can by faith say, Jesus, you're the one that I can count on. And even if it's just God getting me through this next day, would you please just do that for me? Father, we thank you for the season of Advent where we can celebrate the word, the Jesus, the, the God incarnate, your son. Who came for us to live a, a life um, teaching, but ultimately and the most importantly, to die on a cross and die, or die on a cross and be ra- raised again to life for us. Thank you, God, for Christ, who forgives our sins. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all of us said together, "Amen."